Hello, and welcome to Workle's Happiness Podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. I used to be the boss of Waitrose and the deputy chair of the John Lewis Partnership, and it's there that I began my interest in how we work and how being happier at work can not only transform an individual's life, but transform an organisation. On this podcast, I find out how happy people really are at work and discuss what steps they take to get happier. On this edition of the Workplace Happiness Podcast, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Sam Jameson. Now, Sam is the founder of the award-winning artisan soap brand, SoSmith, which launched in 2012. Each of Jameson's scents are inspired by and named after different locations in London, from Camden Town to Whitechapel. She and her team work from an old watch factory in Walthamstow, creating her products, which have since expanded to include bath soaps, hand wash and body lotions. Sam, welcome to the Workplace Happiness Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, it's a real (laughs) pleasure to to talk to a successful young entrepreneur is always stimulating. And uh, I know people are going to love listening to your story. So where should we start? Let's talk about your school years. When you're at school, did you show entrepreneurial flair? Did you always think you'd set up your own business? Yeah, I, I didn't. I was always quite happy to work for other people. My main thing in life was I wanted to enjoy where I work because I worked out very early that when you think about it, if you're working somewhere nine to five, you're going to be spending a lot of time doing that job, right? Then you've got the weekends. So you're going to spend most of your life doing that job. And I didn't really want to be a clock watcher. I didn't want to work in a job that you look at the time, oh my God, I want to go home, I want to go home, I want to go home. Oh, is it five o'clock? Yay! I didn't want that. I always wanted a job that I really, really loved, whether it was for myself or whether it was for somebody. And I, I very much wanted to do things that made me happy and I felt passionate about because I'm sorry, I am not going to work for anyone I don't like. I don't like doing it. I'm, it's just not work. What's the point? You know, I'd rather not have a job. <laughs> and, and tell me, when you were at school, did you work? Did you have jobs? Yeah, I worked. I, I, do you remember Woolworths? I Woolworths. do. I was a Saturday girl. And I, how old was I? I was 15. And at the time, they only employed you if you were 16. I was like 15 in three months. And I remember the guy, Eddie, who was the store manager. I was like, well, I'm nearly 16. I'm nearly 16. He was like, okay, I'll give you a go. So I actually was employed, and I'm sure that's illegal now, but I got in and I started off literally just, um, do you know the pick and mix, the pick and mix. I used to just, my job was just to fill the pick and mix, fill the shelves, um, work on the till. And I loved that job. I was a Saturday, I was a Saturday girl doing that job. And then I became a supervisor. And then when I went to university in Liverpool, John Moores, I tried, they transferred me to be a supervisor there. So yeah, I started when I was about 15 and three months. <laughs> and tell me, what was it about that job that you loved? It was the fact that one, I could do stuff like in terms of selling um, products to customers. I liked speaking to customers. They would pay me for it. And I was getting more money working than I was getting pocket money. I think I was getting like £3.50 a week at that time. And it was just nice being able to get more money for doing a hard day's work. And it was fun, you know, working in Woolworths. It was so, so much fun. There's, so, there's a terrible story I can tell you about Woolworths, but I'm not going to. It is not bad about Woolworths. It was an incident that happened. Should, am I allowed to tell you that? Yeah, go on. We right. all want to hear Listen, it. 
listen, I was a supervisor at the time. It was me, it was another guy, I'm not gonna say his name, and another guy. And we were upstairs in the stock room, we were just chatting. We were just taking a break, right? And they picked up a pick and mix sweet and they started eating it. And I, Do you want, they said to me, do you want some, Sam? And I was like, no, no, I don't really want any. So I went downstairs, went about my business. The following Saturday, the manager came, um, came in, he called me into his office and he said, you know, we have secret cameras in, in the staff room. And we saw exactly what was going on. Well done for not, um, for not partaking. The other two have been sacked. And I just thanked my lucky stars. I didn't want any sweets at that point. I just wanted to, 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 to get, get on with it. But yeah, I'll never forget that. What other lessons did you learn from those early working days? With be good. Be, be the best you can. Do a good job and you will be fine. You know, do the best that you can possibly do. Work as hard as you can. Obviously, don't break your back. But work as hard as you possibly can and deliver. Do, just do a good job, you know. And, and while you were working there and you were at school, before you went to John Moore University, mm. were you thinking then, oh, I'd love to set up my own business? Or was that oh, something that came later? No, that came later on. I wasn't, I wasn't. I was just, my main focus was just to do a job that I enjoyed doing. You know, I remember when I was at university, I, I applied for graduate training schemes. There was a company called Pink Elephant, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, McDonald's. I got onto all of their schemes in terms of them offering me a job. And I was like, nah, it's not quite right. I only applied because that was kind of what you did, right? You applied for graduate training schemes. But when I was younger, I, I just wanted to just work and do something I enjoyed. I was just passionate about being happy, doing something I enjoyed. That was my main focus. And did you enjoy your time at university? I loved my time at university. I, I loved it too much. My first year, I didn't attend. I attended one exam and I had to resit the whole of the, um, the first year during the summer because I partied too hard. Then I knuckled down year two. I did my placement. Then year four, I just worked my socks off and I, I really enjoyed it. Liverpool's a lovely city. It really um, is. And what did you study, Sam? I studied business administration. And would you recommend that to other people? Do you think that's a good basis if you want to do yeah. what you've done? Yeah, it's, it's a really good basis because it covered... Um, law, it covered um, corporate social responsibility, it covered accounting, um, all sorts of different aspects in starting your own business, as well as, you know, the administration side. So yeah, I would really recommend it. I ended up switching to do a business studies course, which included a one year placement. So I ended up working for St. Helens Career Service and St. Helens Rugby Club. And, and so doing my one year. And so before you went to university, obviously you're yeah. working at Woolworths as well as doing your schoolwork. You yeah. can continue at Woolworths while you're doing business. It oh. feels as though that business was always the thing that you were going to do. Did that come from your parents? No, it, it, it was the only thing that you could do. It was one of the things, I'll be honest with you, Mark, it was one of the things that I could do that avoided having to suffer the stress of A-levels, right? My brother is a chartered accountant. My older brother's a chartered accountant. He had A-level stress. My younger brother's a pharmacist. He had A-level stress. Um, I'm the middle and I just wanted to, I did a BTEC national to get into um, to university. And so I always thought that I didn't really want the pressure of exams and BTEC was just like coursework over the, over the two years. And so I, I, I realized that, you know, I'm not going to take a traditional path. I'm not really interested in medicine. I'm not interested too heavily in the law. 
what is a nice catch-all kind of um, degree um, qualification you can take that can sort of cover your bases and hedge your bets. And at the time, it was business studies, business administration. It covered all different facets of um, working life. And I, I enjoyed my course. I really did. And looking back now, obviously, working you always gave you a great feel for selling consumer products. Yeah. Your degree obviously gave you great grounding for setting up your business. Is there anything else you look back on in those early years and think, oh, yeah, actually, that's been really helpful to me in setting up my business? Were you really creative? Did you make perfumes at home? Or Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't, see, there's the thing is, when I was younger and I made perfumes and I was interested in fragrance, it wasn't something that I ever thought that you could turn into a viable business. It was really just a hobby. It was something that just made me happy. My mum ecstatic and her neighbours and friends and people from her church. That was the, um, that was the actual, I didn't actually think you can make money from it, if that makes sense. It was something that I enjoyed doing and I wasn't doing it to make money. I was doing it because I enjoyed making products. I made soaps, I made um, body butter balms, I made bath salts, you know, things that you could do at home. So you were quite creative, really. Yeah, but, you know, when I was younger, I I, um, I spent a lot of time. Do you remember, do you remember Yahoo groups at AOL? I was I was heavy into that, right? So I'll be talking to people from all over the all over the world, and we would just groupthink and we would just experiment and just do crazy stuff and report back. And somebody had a problem sourcing an ingredient, and we'll be like, "Oh my gosh, you can't get that! Oh no, try this!" You know, do, do you know? Do you understand what I mean? It was a really a, a community, and so that that's um, that was one of the things I did on the side. And so you've got all of that background. You've been offered lots of graduate placement jobs at the end of your time at university. Tell the listeners what you did then. Well, well <laughs> I at the when at university, I worked for um, Woolworths in St. John's Centre. I then got a job because one of my other roommates got a job working in QVC. And I was like, oh my God, QVC, shopping channel, this is amazing. So I ended up working in QVC during the graveyard shift, even more money than I was getting at um, Woolworths. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to make this leap. This is exciting, you know, TV shopping. So I ended up doing that. And um, one of the customers that came in, because I got a job working in the staff shop, it was like three of us to serve 750 people. It was a prized position because you got first pick of what was going to the shop. So I was like, I must get this job. So I got the job. And um, one of the guys who kept on coming in, he'll, he'll come in and he'll go for like three months and he'll come back in again. Oh, where are you been? He said, oh, I work on the cruise ships. That's my main job. I was like, cruise ships? What do you do on the cruise ships? And so that's how I ended up working on a cruise ship. He was a crippier. So I ended up getting a job on the cruise ship. And um, yeah, I just, it gave me an opportunity to graduate, see the world, work out what the hell I was going to do and just enjoy myself, right? So I did that. And then I realized that I started off in the gift shop. Then I got a job working um, for captain's cocktail parties. And then I was promoted to be a guest purser which is basically a glorified and um, customer service assistant, right? So then I did that and I enjoyed the captain's cocktail parties. So then I moved on to organizing events. So when I came off, I worked for an events company um, in London. Then I started up my own events company and that led on to, you know, chocolate fountains, bizarrely. <laughs> and, and before we get to chocolate fountains, yeah. what, what are your memories of working on cruise ships? Because I know it's incredibly hard work, long hours. 
But working on the cruise ships was absolutely fantastic. I, I, it was it was great fun. It was like a little family on a on a house that just goes from port to port to port. You know, this was back in the day when people we had lots of um, American guests and uh, a few people from the the UK and Europe, but mainly Americans. And it was just a nice um, it was a nice experience. I would recommend people to. I wouldn't recommend them do it now because there's you know hardly any cruise industry but back in the day i would definitely recommend people give it a go it's and where, where did you visit sam i did um the western caribbean i and the eastern caribbean eastern caribbean st thomas st martin then i did western caribbean which is cancun cozumel mazatlan porto porto Vallarta, and then i did panama canal and i did that for nearly two years and when you left there what skills do you think you'd learned what do you learn there that's helped you with your business? Realising that, you know what, you cannot solve everything. Sometimes things just happen, right? And you just have to adapt. You know, it's just, you know, I came on, I was on two ships. I came on to my second ship as an assistant manager because the guy sadly um, passed away. So I replaced him and you can't help you know, you've just got to, you've got to prepare for everything, but you can't help what's going to happen. You've just got to adapt, right? So there was a lot of adapting when I came onto the second ship and it was, it was great. It was a great experience. And then you've obviously by this time worked for quite a lot of managers. So from mm. your Woolworths days, right yeah. through to your cruise days, what, what did you learn from those managers? What did you say, oh God, when I'm managing, I'm never going to do that. Or when I'm managing... I'd, I'd definitely do some of that. Yeah, I, I, f I found with the managers that I had, I've been extremely fortunate. Um, you know, the managers that I've had during the, they've been really nice. A couple of, a couple of awful ones. Um, but do you know what's, what, what I found? Do you know the awful managers? They tend to just be shedded through, you know, them doing something wrong or down the line, they end up going because they're not great. Um, good managers just give you an opportunity to show you, show them what you can do, right? And the most important thing I learned when to manage is just to be kind, put yourself in that person's position and just be kind, you know? And who is your best manager? Let's pick them um, up. I'm trying to think. I've had so many. Oh my gosh, Carol from QVC in the gift shop. She was QVC in Knowsley. Um, Carol was amazing. Carol was fantastic. She's and, such a nice person. And why was she fantastic? Tell me what made her a fantastic she, boss. She she worked you hard. Um, she needed certain things done, but she also understood that you could only do so much, right? You only got two pairs of hands. We haven't got eight pairs of hands. You can only do, so you only got one pair of hands, two. So you can only do so much, but she was also such a nice person in terms of giving life advice, um, you know, and giving you the space to come up with your ideas and, you know, just to grow. She was phenomenal. Carol from QVC in Nosley. Very good. We'll big her up. <laughs> and, and so um, and so let's go to the next chapter. So you're running events on cruise ships yeah. and you decide that actually you want to set up your own events business. Yeah. Uh, and me, yeah. So how did that happen? What did you do? <clears throat> when I, well, no, well, it was, I, I ended up working for an events company. I realised when I was on the cruise ships, I realised that, you know, 
this is crazy. Do you remember there was a, I can't even remember the exact details of it, but there was a train crash. I think it was the Paddington train crash and five people passed away. My wake up call was, we didn't know the news for like two weeks after it happened. And I was like, this is nuts. You know, I'm losing touch with what's real, what's not, because the cruise ship was like one big, it's one big holiday, right? So I was like, you know what, I really wanna get back to my family and my friends and to be more grounded. I wanna lay down roots. I wanna have a house, I wanna have a car. I wanna, you know, you don't have that when you're on a cruise ship because you can't, you're, you're away all the time. And so I ended up working for an events company, a really small outfit. I don't know if they're, I don't think they're in business anymore, but I left on lovely terms and I decided to set up my own business. And I did that for about a year. I worked for them for about a year and they're a really nice couple. And we did some amazing events. And it was just, it was a nice, it was a nice introduction to how the London event scene was. So I worked out pretty quickly that I only want to focus on corporate events. I don't want to have, you know, hundreds of clients. I want to have 10, 15 clients that I actually like. Because <laughs> what's really important for me is that I really want to work. Like I said to you before, I only want to do things I like. And I don't want to have a horrible client. And, you know, I really want to work with, with companies that I actually like and admire. So I was very lucky, you know, when I started. And, and then, so, so people out there will be sitting and thinking, you know, I'd like to start my own business. How do you, how do you start a business, Sam? What, what did you do? One day you're sitting there working with a couple running events in London. The next you've set up your own business and you're looking for 10 big corporate clients to manage their events. How, I mean, what do you do? Um, it's the first thing I, I remember, the first thing I thought was, right, I want to do my own, my own events. I want to do my own company. Right, I was stupid. I was like, what am I going to call it? Instead of thinking, how am I going to get the clients? I was thinking, what am I going to call my business? And I was like, oh, floaty and flighty. I was flighty. And I was like, oh, I'll call it Organza Events. So it's brilliant. And I decided that the, the second thing after the name was to get the domain names. And then the third thing was to actually get clients. And I thought, mm, what clients would want to come with me? What clients you know, did I introduce to the company that might want to come with me? Where can I source new clients? So I got, um, um, not the yellow pages, there was, this, there was this guide that you could get and it had the list of all these different companies and the contact names. Because you've got to remember back in the day, when you called up a company, you could say, hi, can I speak to X, Y, Z? They'll be like, yeah, let me put you through. Now it's like, do you know their email address? Are they, do they know you? There's lots of gatekeeping. Back in the day, there wasn't any of that. It was literally pick up the phone and speak to who you need to speak to. So I ended up working for Arsenal Football Club, French Connection, Maersk Shipping, bizarrely, because the lady was just really nice. It was a shipping company. I don't know about shipping, but she was really, really nice. I had an office in um, Allgate and they wanted to be nice. They wanted to have nice Christmas parties in Four Seasons that had just opened. So I organised their parties for like, three, four, ever since I was in business, I organized their, their parties. And um, Porsche in Stratford, I organized their parties as well. So I had a nice roster of clients that I really enjoyed working with. And we were very tight with the stuff for the BBC. So it was, it, was a, it was a really nice experience. You make that sound very easy, Sam. You know, I got Porsche. Just tell people how easy or hard it is to pick up the phone, get through with somebody and persuade them that they should use you rather than somebody else to do their event planning. Because most of them, I suspect, 
already had somebody they were using. Ah, 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 that's where you're wrong. They didn't. Porsche had just built their, um, their, um, their showroom. They were brand new. The lady, Lu Luciana, who's thought was one of my friends, she was the managing, she was the PA to the managing director. So she knew how to have events, but she didn't know all of the options available. So your job, when you, you know, the way I did it was I literally just researched and just picked up the phone and spoke to the people I needed to speak to and told them what I could offer them. And at the time what I could offer them was a package or a customed um, event. So Christmas, I could organize your Christmas parties. Oh, how many are you in, in the organization? Okay, great. Yeah. what did you do before and she'll be like well when you I said okay great let me give you some options and see if you like it so I'll put together a word doc of, post of options and I used to just insert little pictures it's, I'm telling you this was proper old school right insert little pictures and um, like little colorful pictures and then dancing on the dance floor looking 1980 you know crazy and they would like the proposal then I would take them to the venues and then we'll build a package that was how you did it Arsenal however they are a different kettle of fish. They have their teams. I got on very well with the um, the secretary to um, one of the chairmen's. Um, her name is Jo Harney, and I'm saying her name because she was phenomenal. She was uh, she was one of the main reasons that that allowed me to build my company. Right. So I'll never forget her, Jo Harney. She was really nice. She was a brilliant client. And I used to provide them with entertainment and then the role expanded from there. And one year she said to me, you know, Sam, we've done everything. What can you provide us that's different? And I said, well, you know, have you guys done the fucking Bronco? She said, no, we haven't done the fucking Bronco. I said, they're like that. She said, what else you got? I said, have you heard of these chocolate fountains? She said, no. Hmm, that sounds really interesting. So I told her about the chocolate fountains and that was how I started. So that got Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal. It did. It did, chocolate. So was Arsene Wenger the manager at the time? Yes, he was. Um, he was the manager at the time. I think that was it. You know, this is how I was so dumb. I was so focused on what I was doing. You know, they just moved. No, I was working with them for about two years while they were at Highbury. Then we, and I say we because I was part of the family at the time, then we moved to the Emirates. And Joe said to me, you know what, Sam? We're really, really pleased with what you're doing. Do you fancy having a front, uh, a full page ad, the match, um, match, um, what's it called? Program. The match, yeah, match program. We'll, we'll give you a full page ad for your, for your company. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. Did I follow up? No, I was too busy organizing events. She said to me, you know, the diamond suite, Sam, come with your family and enjoy a match and a free food and free drink at the diamond suite. Did I take her up on it? No. I was too busy. Or, do you understand what I mean? It's like these times I think to myself, God, I was so dumb. So my, my advice to people as well is when you're giving these opportunities, take them up. You'll do, you'll do all the work later, just do it. I think if there's one thing coming through from our chat, it's that you're certainly not dumb. What comes through is that you've got a great entrepreneurial mind, but more than that, you're very hardworking and determined. And it strikes me, Sam, that what you're good at doing is realising that you need to build relationships with people. And there's no easy way of doing that. You've got to pick up the phone. You've got to invest oh. a lot of time and energy. You do. You do. You do. You, do. you actually have to care. Do you know what I mean? You can't be fakey-fakey and 
think that doesn't people see read through that if you actually care it shines through so be genuine be genuine and and sam so you're doing events and it sounds like you're doing fantastically you've got porsche and arsenal and yeah. Maersk, you've got all these fantastic companies so how do you get from there to setting up soapsmith it was a it was a it was a funny one i used to with the chocolate fountains the chocolate fountains then became a second part of my events business right so I was supplying all these chocolate fountains. Do you ever see in Thornton's when they had the chocolate machines in there? I sold them all of their machines and trained their staff. So it became a big beast, right? I then took it a step further because I thought, I was so in love with this chocolate, right? As well as doing the events, I was in love with this chocolate. So then I ended up designing a mini chocolate fountain that I, I wanted people, because at the time getting a chocolate fountain was like 500, 600 pounds, the higher one for the night. And I was like, this must, you should be able to have this in your home. You should be able to whip out your chocolate fountain when your friends come around. So I designed a mini chocolate fountain and there were others on the market that just weren't as great. So I designed one and I sold it and it sold very well. It was bizarrely, it won the best chocolate fountain in the Good Housekeeping Awards. And it was like, okay, great. Thornton's then bought a lot of the stock. And I was like, this is really good. At the, at the time with the chocolate fountains, I had like eight machines going out every weekend. I had long-term contracts for Indian weddings. And, you know, it was, it was crazy. So that was a nice part. But then I, I was, after a couple of years of that, after I did the Big Brother house, I put chocolate fountains in the Big Brother house and all of that stuff. It's like, where else do you go? To me, chocolate fountains was become a, a bit boring. Do you know if that makes sense? I was like, this isn't fulfilling, fulfilling. This is great doing a service for um, people, doing parties. But you know what? Doing a service isn't 100% reliable, right? You're, 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 at, you're at the mercy of people's whims. So I was listening to LBC. Do you know LBC? Right, I listened to LBC. I listened to LBC for many, many years. And this guy rocks up on the show and he's like, you know, manufacturing is dead in the UK. In the old days, we used to make all of these things and it's, you know, there's not, there's not much manufacturing anymore, da, 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 da. And I said, you know what, he's got a point. Manufacturing is dying. We don't make stuff anymore. I can make stuff. I, I, I can make, if I can make stuff, I can then sell it and you either buy it or you don't. So that was how I got involved in making soap and right, okay how can I make this be the best it possibly can be and I thought well I can do handmade soap I can sell my, my, my bath socks I can sell this I can sell that it took me two years I trade you can you can look back I trademarked Soapsmith in 2010 Harrods were my first customer in 2012 so what the hell was I doing for two years I was trying to make it as perfect as possible right I was testing the fragrances. I was spending like three weeks deciding on a font for my packaging. Just crazy stuff, right? And you get so embedded in, in your baby. So yeah, that was it. That was and it. So, that was the start. And so why so cupcakes and chocolate? There's a yeah. kind of a, a logic, but why yeah. why soaps? Did it go back to that childhood thing of making perfumes? And yeah. Yeah, I was making, but I wasn't really so much making perfumes. I was making tangible things. I, you see, in my family, some people have 
sensitive skin, right? So I wasn't making things like perfume so much as only for myself, but for family, the cheapest way and the best way that gives you nice brownie points is giving somebody a gift that you've made yourself, right? So I was researching how to make soap. I'm going back many, 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 many years making presents and actually going online, going to the library, taking the books out and experimenting. And this goes back to when there was the group thing when we were all talking about making soaps, just as a hobby, not to sell, you know? So I was like, if I could do this well, I could actually sell this stuff. And that was how it was, it was how it was started. And people would ask to buy stuff from me. And I was silly. I wasn't selling it. I was like, no, I'll take it. And then they'll be coming back. My mum's got friends that would always ask for shea butter soap from us, right? And I was like, actually, you should be paying for this stuff. But it's like, well, there you go. So, so there'll be lots of people sitting at home now thinking, oh, I've got an idea to make something. Yeah. So let's just walk through. Uh, you've had the idea. All of a sudden you said, I'm not going to do chocolate fountains. I think that their best days are behind them. I'm now going to make soap mm -hmm. and body products. Mm -hmm. So you've had the idea. What do you do next? So you said when you set up your events company, the first thing you did was thought of the name. And then you uh, registered the .com addresses. Yeah. And then you went to get customers. Tell yeah. us what you did to set up SafeSmith. I knew the product was good. I wasn't worried about the product so much because I knew that the product would have to be refined to fit in my direction. And I thought, when you're dealing with lots of people in Australia and New Zealand and America, they're talking about their soaps. We're all talking about our soaps. And they would say, oh, you look at this lavender soap I've got, or look at this lemongrass soap I've got, look at this, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to make mine down to where I'm from. And I thought, you know, people say, don't they? You can never go wrong if you'll remain true to yourself. You can never go wrong. So the first thing I thought, that, which is done again, I spent time on the name and for like six months, the company was gonna be called Suds & Co. And somebody said to me, that's a really stupid name. What the hell, Suds & Co is crazy. And I thought, no, I like it. It's like earthy, it's sturdy, Suds & Co. I was like, you know, all I, I, said, I remember lying in bed saying, all I wanna do is think of a name that's like a locksmith, blacksmith, but somebody who's passionate about their products, soap. Soapsmith, I jumped out of bed, checked the domain name, got the domain name, and I that was that was the, that was the, the the foundation. Soapsmith, I got I had twenty seven at one point. I had my Soapsmith, Soapsmith.com, Soapsmith.co.uk, crazy. But yeah, I did. And, where, and where did you first start making your soap? I started making my soap. I was I did things a bit crazy. I started making my soap in my flat. And I just made little batches, little batches of soap, just refining them, going through so many different um, options. I had like 23 different types of shea butter soap, you know, and I would look at that. The second thing, I, but you've got to bear in mind, I was securing my formulation, I was securing what I was going to do. So I had to think of what point of difference, why would somebody buy my soap and not buy somebody else's soap? For other people at home who want to do this, mm. I'll be thinking, gosh, two years, when did you sell your first product? You know, 2012. You don't need to, listen, newsflash, you don't need to spend two years doing this. You could do it all in six months. You could do it all in six months. I was just dumb and extra, but you don't really need to be. You really don't.
You can do and it then, six months. And then you've got this product, you've got the mm -hmm. scent right, you've got yep. the font right, you've got your mm -hmm. packaging right. Yep. You've done all of that from your kitchen. Yeah. And, and then you've gone and sold it into Harrods. No, 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 no. What I did was, I was like, oh, again, I don't know. But I presumed um, retailers would not want to buy stock from somebody who's selling it in their flat. Right, that's just, I just, I just thought, obviously these times have changed and yes, they do, but I thought I'll get a, I'll get a um, premises. So July 20, July 2011, I moved into a former watch factory and I set up everything. So I spent six months preparing for, you know, getting into Harrods, getting in a retailer. That and was, did you recruit people then, Sam? Nope, it was just me. It was literally me making everything from top to bottom, just everything me. Okay, you know? so you've got your premises. There's mm -hmm. you working 24 hours a day. Not quite, but close. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just, just tell us. I mean, people out there are going to be kind of, their minds are going to be blown by this. You've done all of this. You've not got a customer. And then the first customer yeah. you've got is Harrods. How, yeah. how did you do that? It was just crazy because... When, when you're making soaps, I'd spent so long designing the fragrances, you have to get hold of a perfumer to help you develop the fragrances and the scents, right? And then you have to get hold of packaging. You have to almost, because what I decided, I wasn't going to go with a smaller company. I want to go to the best of the best. So I went to the best packages. I went to the best perfumers. And I was the smallest client they'd ever taken. And I told them my idea and I sold them on what I wanted to achieve. And they bought into that and they supported me. So instead of having the 10,000 minimums that they offered, I got 500 minimums. Well, one of the packaging companies deals with Harrods, deals with all these different brands. And somehow they saw my designs. They saw my, my vision on what I wanted for Soapsmith. And they got in touch with me. So Harrods got in touch with you? Yep, they got in touch with one of the people that was helping me. And then through them, they got in touch with me. How cool is that? It's great. But you... then it, it, it depends because I've gotten so many no's. I've got so and, many no's. And then selling to other businesses, is that mm. the hardest part of your job? Um, no. With, I got into, when I got into Harrods, from Harrods, I got Selfridges because the buyers go to other shops to see what the competition's selling, right? So Selfridges contacted me. And at this point, the moment you have a flagship stockist, when I contacted other shops, because you're in Harrods, they're like, oh, what have you got? So then from there, I got like Museum of London, they approached me, I got um, Urban Outfitters, I got various other, other companies you know, just by being in one. And then they put, Harrods, luckily for me, they put me in their, um, their magazine that you get. And that, you know, that, that came a lot of, um, a lot of inquiries. And, and it was just me. People <laughs> listening to this will just think this is all fantastic, which it is. But, but just tell us, what's the hardest thing about doing what you've done? Um, there's been so many hard points. Um, yeah, hard, there's been so many hard bits. The first bit was, you may say it's great that I'm in Harrods, but when you went onto my website, even though I was in Harrods, I didn't have the resources to build, to get a website back end built out. It's not like it is now where you just 
um, go to Shopify or whatever. At the time, I didn't know any of this. I thought you had to have a fancy e-commerce site. So on my website, it was just literally a blank page, my logo, and said, sorry, busy making soap. That was it for like six months because I didn't have any, 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 any resources at all at that point because I was spending the money to make product. You know, it was just trying to tick it all over. And then, and then tell us about how things are now. You started eight years ago. We're in 2020. We're in COVID lockdown. Oh, my goodness. Just, just tell us about your business today. I feel extremely fortunate, extremely fortunate. You have no idea. It's, um, I'm just extremely lucky. The business has moved on leaps and bounds. We're expanding. You know that the, um, the unit I told you moved into, the former watch factory? We're still here but we're taking on another unit because we're expanding. Um, I've now got a team of people. There's seven of us all together now, so from one to seven. Um, and it's it's going really, really well. I, you know, this is the thing. When I first started in our first year, I would apply to, um, not so much apply, people say, so, you know, you should enter this beauty awards. I was like, oh, really? How much is it to enter? And they'll be like, 150. And I'll be like, juggling. I'll be like, oh my God, should I enter? 150 pounds is a lot of money. But I entered and we won. So for a long time, we were winning every year. We win beauty awards for our products, right? But ever since we've redesigned and become more true to who we are, we're now winning awards. Well, Bulletproof, who've done the design, they're winning awards for what's outside. So we're winning for what's inside and we're winning awards for what's outside. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's been tough. It's not been easy. Goodness gracious. Would I do it again? Hell yeah. I would, in a heartbeat. And, and on that note, I know that you've taken the work, the work or workplace happiness test. Yeah. And um, I know that you're very happy at work. I am very. Ugh. Listen, if I wasn't happy at work, Mark, I wouldn't be here. And you, <laughs> you uh, to all the questions you said you were scoring, tens and eights and so um that's going to put you in the happiest group of people at work but is, is there one frustration if you could wave a magic wand and change or improve one thing that would make you even happier at work what mm. would it be well there's two things really i can think of immediately more space i would love to have even more space in our in our unit that's why we're moving i would love even more space than that and two i would love to live upstairs so I don't have to drive to work. I can just rock out of bed, roll out, come down. Anyone, you know, I won't miss a delivery ever because I'll be here, you know, 24-7. That will make me really happy, living upstairs. <laughs> and, and I've got two last questions for you, Sam, yeah. if that's okay. The first one is about music. So lots yeah. of people say that music is one of the most important things to help you feel happy. So which piece of music, when you hear it, makes you feel happiest? Um, see, I'm a bit odd. I like two different, I like jazz, I like Miles Davis, but what makes me really happy, do you know a band called Weather Report? I don't, I'm sad to okay. say, but I will okay. now. Well, I listen, yeah, I listen, I like Weather Report. And that makes me feel really happy listening. And if, to is there one particular song they've got? Um, it's, it's a difficult one because they've got so many different, different ones. Another one that makes me happy, actually, if I had to say above Weather Report, I would say Stevie Wonder. He makes me happy. Do you like, you know, Stevie, everyone knows Stevie Wonder. Everybody knows yeah. Stevie Wonder. Okay, uh, that's fantastic. And, and then the last question is, if you had to pick somebody to take the workplace happiness test. Birdland. Who would you pick? Say that again. 
Birdland. Birdland. From Weather, yeah, from Weather Report. That's your favourite song? Yeah. And, and then lastly, if you have to pick somebody to take the workplace happiness test to see how happy they were at work and help them be happier, who would you pick and why? Uh, see, I'll pick Boris Johnson, you know. I think when I say, are you really happy? Are you really happy? I would ask him to take the take the test. But the thing is, I, I, I could say, oh, there's like 20 different people I know to take a happiness test, but they're my friends and I know they're happy, you know? So it's a, it's a really hard one. So I'll take somebody like Boris Johnson and say, are you really happy? And what do you think? Do you think he's happy or not? In I think he is stressed the hell out. <laughs> I think he is, must be unbelievably stressed at the moment. I really do, because, you know, I honestly thought the biggest thing that we would have to deal with would be Brexit. That was what I was thinking. You know, we were preparing our stocks. So I thought that would be the, the, ma the major thing. But COVID just really threw the whole world a, a massive curveball. It was like, you got plans? Uh-uh, now you don't. You ain't got no plans. So yeah, that will be, that'll be, that'll be um, one for the record books, right? Yeah, it will be. And I'm so pleased to hear that you've done so well through uh, the COVID lockdown, Sam, uh, and that your business has continued to go from strength to strength. And I'm sure that's not only uh, uh, your brilliant leadership, but also the brilliant products that you've created. So, Sam, I'd like to thank you for um, being on this edition of the Workplace Happiness podcast. Uh, you've been a real inspiration, and I know that lots of people listening will sit back and think hard about what they're doing today, whether they're really happy in their job, and perhaps you've inspired some of them just to take that little leap to be a bit happier at work. Thank you very much. No, thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. For more on this podcast, head to workall.co where you can find out how you can get happier at work.